Let's take our bowls, please. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. And verse 6 says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you today that we have the privilege as believers to come together in this place to fellowship around your word, to spend time, Father God, studying its truth. We thank you, Father, that we have a Saviour that we can worship, a Saviour that we can give thanks unto for his sacrifice. We thank you we have a God that loves us and we thank you for your word. We pray today as we open up the word that you would guide us by your spirit, help our understanding. May we receive from you that which you would have for us today and may you receive all the praise and all the glory as we study your word together. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study on the character of God, which we're doing on Sunday mornings, we've been studying God's attributes. And today we come to the third of the omni attributes, his omnipotence. This attribute suggests that God has unlimited power. Thomas Watson said of God that he can do what he will. His power is as large as his will. Now, when we consider the attributes of God, we need to understand that all the attributes of God are closely associated and they are interdependent upon each other. For example, God knows all things and he knows what is best for me. But without the power to bring it to pass, to bring what is best for me to pass in my life, his knowledge is vain. God is in all places because he is omnipresent. But without the power to act in those places, his presence there would be vain. We know that God must be in all places to hold all things together. Yet he must not only be omnipresent, but he also must have the power to hold all things together. He must be omnipotent. So first of this morning, consider with me omnipotence defined. It's mentioned here in verse 6 of Revelation chapter 19. It says, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The word omnipotent comes from the Latin and refers to the fact that God's power is infinite and unlimited. It can be defined this way. God's omnipotence means God is able to do all that he desires to do. When he plans something, it will happen. If he purposes something, it will happen. Nothing can prevent his plan. When his hand is stretched out to do something, no one can turn it back. Now, to understand this word omnipotent, we could use another English word that we find in our Bible in the New Testament. Another biblical word is the word almighty. And it occurs 345 times in the Bible. It's never used of anybody other than God. And the Greek word for omnipotent actually comes from another Greek word, which does mean almighty. And so we could describe God as being the almighty God. 
Now, this word omnipotent, however, appears only once in the Bible. And it's here at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19 and verse 6, where it says, The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And while this is the only time the word omnipotence is used in the English Bible, there are many passages which imply God's omnipotence, God's power, that God is almighty, that God is all-powerful. Job 42.2 says, I know that thou canst do everything. Genesis 18.14 says, Is anything too hard for God? Daniel 4.35 says, He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand. In Luke 1.37 it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 17 we read, We give thanks, give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. I mean, God's word may only use the word once, omnipotence, here in Revelation 19.6, but the Bible is clear throughout the pages of the scripture. Over and over again, it's declared the power of God. God is all-powerful. A simple definition of omnipotence would be nothing is too difficult for God. One commentator said, God can do with power anything the power can do because he has the strength to do all he wills to do. He has all the resources, the ability to work his will in every circumstance in the universe. Simply put, omnipotence means that God is able to do whatever he wills. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we trust. We have a God who is able to do whatever God wants to do. God has the power to do whatever he wills to do. He wouldn't be much of a God, would he, if, he uh, if we have a God that we serve that has no power to do anything. He can promise a lot and he can say a lot and he might be omnipresent and he might be omniscient, but he can do nothing about anything because he has no power to do it. God is omnipotent. He has all power. Now a statement of this magnitude raises all sorts of questions. Some serious and some not so serious. For instance, you know, some people will ask the question, if God is omnipotent, if God is all-powerful, can God build a wall so strong that he could not knock it down? Or can God make a stone, make a rock that is so big that he can't lift it? If God is all-powerful, then surely God can do that. Well, obviously, God cannot do anything that is absurd or self-contradictory. In fact, questions like that are just simple nonsense. It's got nothing to do with omnipotence. It's just somebody being ridiculous, trying to prove that God is not all that God says that God is. And questions like that stand outside the reason, the realm of reason and logic. It's nothing to do with whether God's got power or God has got power to do something that God cannot do. It's got nothing to do with his omnipotence. God does not do anything that contradicts or opposes himself. I mean, the reality is God is never going to do something that contradicts him 
and who he is or opposes his character. God's not going to act in opposition to who he is. God's not going to do anything that is opposed to the person that God is. And that's why such questions are nonsense. In fact, the scripture tells us that there are some things that God cannot do. You see, omnipotence does mean that God is all-powerful, but that does not mean that God cannot do some things. There are some things that God cannot do. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13 says, God cannot behold evil. Hebrews 6.18 says, He cannot lie. James 1.13 says, He cannot be tempted. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, He cannot deny himself. So the fact is that God cannot do anything that's contrary to his nature. So to ask silly questions about whether God could build a wall so big that he can't, uh, you know, knock it down or climb over it or whatever the case might be, are, are ridiculous because God cannot act contrary to his nature. He can't act contrary to who he is. And we understand God is all-powerful, but it makes... No sense to think that God can lie or that God can be tempted or God can deny himself or that God can be all evil because that's contrary to the very character of God. God's a holy God. And so when we look at the attributes of God and when we look at what it means, we have to be careful that we don't, we don't assume something to be true that is contrary to his character. When it comes to God's omnipotence, he is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wills, but there's some things God wills not to do. And that does not diminish in any way his omnipotence. It in no way suggests a limitation on God's omnipotence. It simply just means that God is who God is. In fact, if God could do any of the things we've listed, then he would not be God. God is who he is because God cannot behold evil. He's holy. God is who he is because he cannot lie. He can be trusted. He is truth. God is God because he cannot be tempted to evil. And God is God because he cannot deny himself. If God was anything other than that, he would not be God. But none of that makes God any less omnipotent than he is. He is the omnipotent God. It's omnipotence defined. What about omnipotence explained? Here in verse 6 it says, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation 19 records for us the praise of the tribulation saints who are joined by the church saints at the marriage of the Lamb. If you go back to verse 4, we read this, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And then verse 7 tells us, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. It's a joyous occasion. It's the marriage of the Lamb. 
And so in Revelation 19, 6, the Apostle John heard what sounded like the voice of many waters as the voice of mighty thunderings. As John looks in the glory and he sees this event about to unfold, this amazing future spectacle, he hears the multitude singing, rejoicing, exalting and giving glory to God in a time of great celebration. A time like no other time in history. A time of celebration like no other time that mankind has ever known. This great multitude is filled with praise because the time has come to celebrate the marriage of the Lamb. This declaration of the Lord God omnipotent reigneth is the time whereby the church, the bride, will be married to Christ the Lamb. Marriage of the Lamb. And it's something to celebrate. And it's no wonder they cry out with thunderings, with the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The multitudes in heaven, including, because this is a future event, including you and I, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, including us, the multitude of heaven recognize that God is all-powerful, that God is almighty. And the result of the acknowledgement of His power, the result of the acknowledgement of the fact that God is omnipotent, is that He reigns. Notice what it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. If we didn't know he reigned prior to this day, that the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will acknowledge that God reigneth. And the proper response to the knowledge that God reigns, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, is that we should respond with praise for our omnipotent, almighty God. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, we have shown to us why God is worthy of praise. And the reason why he's worthy of praise is because he's shown himself to be almighty. Look in verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they say, said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up for ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants. And ye that fear him, both small and great. They say, Hallelujah. The word Hallelujah is taken from the Hebrew and it means praise the Lord. Because four times here in the book of Revelation, here in chapter 19, it occurs nowhere else in the New Testament except here in this glorious scene in heaven as the tribulation saints and the church saints joined together around the throne, ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb, they joined together and together they say, Alleluia, four times. 
God's people offer praise to the Lord four times for four great works that God did. In fact, using four great words about God's great work. Notice what they say in verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power under the Lord our God. That phrase, under the Lord our God, at the end of verse 1, can be translated, belong to the Lord our God. So salvation, glory and honor and power belongs to the Lord. That is, all that there is of honor, all that there is of glory, all that there is of power, in reference to our redemption, belongs to God. And therefore, praise should be ascribed unto him. When you and I think of our salvation, we ought to be able to say, Hallelujah! We ought to be able to say, Praise the Lord, I'm saved. We're going to do it in glory. See, those of us who are very reserved today, one day we're going to get a little excited. We're going to be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We won't be able to help ourselves. We'll see our God stare before us upon the throne. And you and I are going to be caught up in the emotion of the moment with the tribulation saints and the other of God's children. And we're going to cry out, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! I'm saved. We ought to do it today, shouldn't we? We ought to do it even now. Our response to our great God ought to be, Hallelujah! The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We should say with them, hallelujah, for our salvation. And God's people in heaven are going to rejoice also for Babylon the Great. The government of the Antichrist is defeated. Look in verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his saints at her hand. Tribulation saints are going to give thanks because the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the government is overthrown. And we're going to join them in giving thanks unto God for that. Walford said this, He has judged the great harlot. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Here the focus of worship is on the great works of God, specifically his work of righteous judgment. One day we'll join that great hallelujah chorus and offer our praise to the almighty, omnipotent God. We'll praise Him and we should praise Him for all that He's done. You know, we really should sing daily, hallelujah, for the Lord God, omnipotent, reigneth. Omnipotence defined, omnipotence explained. Now look at the omnipotence declared in verses 6 and 7. So they heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. As we said, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, we see the consummation of God's plan for all of history. 
Revelation 19 is the culmination of what God has been doing. What God's been doing throughout history, what God's been doing through this church age, here it all comes to a conclusion. As the marriage of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb is about to take place, if the consummation of God's plan is before us, and the multitudes in heaven now raise their voice in praise to God, because as they stand there, as we will be there with them, as we stand there in God's presence, in glory, we will understand and see before our very eyes what God has been doing. And this will be the culmination of that. And it shouldn't surprise us that at this point in history, the multitudes in glory cry out, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I mean, think about it. You know, God's power has been on display all through history. God's power was displayed back there before time began when God said in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That was God's power on display. With every act of creation, with God's creative act over those six days of creation, God demonstrated his power culminating in the creation of man and woman, the crown of his creation. And throughout history, God has demonstrated his power. You go through the Old Testament, we see the, the great miracles of God. We see the, the parting of the Red Sea. You see the, the, the great victories won for Israel. You see how God delivered David and helped David overthrow the likes of Goliath. And we see throughout all of the Old Testament, God's power on display. But you know, God's power was clearly displayed during the earthly ministry of Christ, wasn't it? I mean, think about it. Remember the leper who came and worshipped Christ? In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, he says, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. In Matthew 8 and verse 3, the Lord responds. He said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. God showed his power when Christ was on earth, when Christ cried, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead came forth in John chapter 11. His power was on display when the storm was angry and the winds began to blow. And Christ stood up on the boat and said, peace, be still. And in Luke 8, 24, the winds and the waves Cease, they heard his voice. Remember a legion of demons could not resist the authoritative command. In Luke chapter 8 and verses 27 to 33, let's turn to that one. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 27 and verse 26. They arrived at the country of the Gazarenes, which is over against Galilee. And he went forth to land. There he met out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. 
And with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Most I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oft times it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And it was there a herd of many swine feeding in the mountain. And they besought him that he would offer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then when the devils out of the men and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and were choked, and when they had fed them, saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and the country, and they went out to see what was done, and came to Jesus and found the man whom, of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he was possessed of the devils was healed. The demons couldn't resist his authoritative power. No wonder Psalm, 92, Psalm 62 and verse 11 declares, Power belongeth unto God and to him alone. You're probably one of the greatest demonstrations of God's power was openly displayed when Jesus Christ left heaven's glory and became God incarnate and dwelt among us. God himself humbled himself. He left heaven's glory and became the Son of Man, the Son of God and the Son of Man. God incarnate for you and me. We see his power demonstrated at Calvary where he died in our place. You know, the crucifixion of Christ was part of God's plan. Look in Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Verse 22 says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You know, the crucifixion of Christ was all part of God's great plan. It was a demonstration of God's power. You know, God and the Lord could have stayed Pilate's hand. Christ could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. He went to Calvary and there he shed his blood for you and I and demonstrated his power. Because on Calvary, he won the victory over sin. He won the victory over Satan. He won this victory over death. He was victorious. You know, we sing there's power in the blood. For the power of God is truly seen in the wonder-working, soul-saving, precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
There is power in the blood. It's the power of God in, in action. When you and I as sinners place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you and I are declared righteous before a holy God. The power of the blood, one commentator said, the power of the blood of Christ, his death for you and I, redemption, forgiveness, grace, mercy, are all demonstrations of God's power. And there are so many illustrations of God's omnipotence in the Word of God. One of the greatest displays of God's power would have to be the resurrection, wouldn't it? That Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. He went to the grave and after three days he rose again, victorious. If that's not a demonstration of the power of God, I know nothing is. That is, he rose again. And because Christ is risen, you and I can have confidence that you and I will also one day rise if, I, if we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. We can have confidence that our sins can be forgiven, that you and I can have peace with God, that you and I can have eternal life. That you and I can one day rise again. For the resurrection was God's declaration of his satisfaction with Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. Jesus Christ declared it finished on the cross, but without the resurrection, what he finished has no purpose, has no meaning. The resurrection is a demonstration of the satisfaction of God in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. And because Christ is risen, we can have confidence that we know Christ as Savior. We too will one day rise. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall we brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The power of God on display at the resurrection. The power of God on display at the rapture when you and I will... Be taken to glory to be with him. We can find hope in his power because we know that nothing, absolutely nothing in this world can defeat our God. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 reminds us that with God, nothing shall be impossible. And the reason for that is because our God is omnipotent. God is not limited by time, circumstances, or the weakness and brokenness of our lives. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is the almighty God. And for that we ought to praise him. The hymn, How Great Thou Art, would have to be one of the greatest expressions of the praise of our almighty, omnipotent God that was ever written. 
The text is based upon Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. The original Swedish text for How Great Thou Art was a poem written in 1886 by a Swedish preacher by the name of Carl Boberg. His inspiration for the poem on which the English hymn How Great Thou Art was written came from a visit to the beautiful country estate on the southeast coast of Sweden. He got caught up in a midday thunderstorm with the awe-inspiring moments of flashing violence followed by a clear, brilliant sun. Soon afterwards, he heard the calm, sweet songs of the birds in the nearby trees. An experience prompted him, he said, to fall on his knees in humble adoration of his almighty, omnipotent God. The English translator of the poem, who then wrote the words and the music for the hymn that we love, known as How Great Thou Art, was a man by the name of Stuart Hine. Stuart Hine and his wife were missionaries in Poland and Czechoslovakia during the 1900s, early 1900s. The thought of writing the old, the original English lyrics came while he was crossing the Carthian mountains of Russia in the 1930s, where the scenery lately played its part. The fourth verse of the hymn was written after, the World War, after World War II. And the great song of praise truly proclaims the power of our almighty God. Remember the chorus? Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Beloved, God is great. God is almighty. God is omnipotent. His power and his might are more than we can fathom. The salvation that is ours through his Son brings us eternal life and takes away all our sin. And his power ensures us that one day he will take us home to glory where we will for eternity bow in humble adoration of our great God. Therefore, beloved, this side of glory, let us sing Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are omnipotent. That you are the almighty God. And that, Father, we know that you can do whatever you will to do. Nothing is impossible with you. And we look forward to the day when we'll stand in glory awaiting the marriage of the Lamb and join that thunderous chorus of heaven and say hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Well, may we praise you. May we say hallelujah, praise the Lord.
if we're saved so that you might get the glory that you deserve. Bless us now we pray as we close the hymn. For this we ask in Jesus' name.